0: a
1: multiverse of infinite Earths. On the world called Earth-2, the heroes banded together to become the Justice Society.
0: Meanwhile on Earth-1, the heroes formed a similar group called the Justice League.
1: Each year, the members of these two legendary teams meet to confront a new crisis. We explore these exciting team-ups in... The Justice Society presents Crisis. Hello, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Justice Society Presents Crisis, a brand new podcast covering the classic team-ups between the Justice Society of Earth 2 and the Justice League of Earth 1. My name's the Irredeemable Shag, and I'm one of your hosts, and along with me is my co-host, the Earth 2, Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. This is
0: very exciting, Shag. We haven't started a new show together in quite a long time.
1: I feel like our entire podcasting careers have sort of been building to this show. Uh, Because you have a long, long established history, love of the Justice League of America. Did your satellite blog, did that predate your Aquaman stuff? No, that came after the
0: Aquaman shrine. Because once I started the shrine, then I was like, oh, I can do blogs about 19 other things, which is kind of my modus operandi.
1: (laughs) It really is. (laughs) Um, For me, uh, when, when I started the whole blogging thing, I actually had intended to do a Justice Society blog. Uh, Not a Firestorm blog. It was going to be Justice Society. But I decided, ah, there's already too many Justice Societies out there. There's nobody doing Firestorm. I'll do Firestorm instead. So I feel like your love of the Justice League and how much you put into that Satellite Era blog and how much you love the Satellite Era and my love of the Justice Society and everything else we've done, I feel like it's all come to this. So I'm so excited about this.
0: Part of the the reason that that we sort of came to this conclusion was – We were doing uh, those JLA, JSA team-ups over on the Aquaman and Firestorm show, and we really enjoyed doing them. But then it dawned on us that uh, obviously uh, pre-issue number 179 of Justice League, Firestorm's not going to be in any of them. And often is not – actually, more often is not – Aquaman was not included in the team-ups. So it was like – well, There's good reason for that all right, let's, let's be positive here. Um, but I mean, you know, really often is not Aquaman was not part of that. And so we was like, well, we can't really, we didn't feel weird covering them on the Aquaman and Firestorm show, considering neither character appeared in them, uh, but we didn't want to be limited to only doing those. So we thought, well, why not do this whole separate thing where we can cover whichever ones we want? Because as much, I mean, I love the justice society too. I absolutely love them. I just, I fell in love with the idea of them being this, team from another planet that came from uh, World War II, all that stuff. And I I loved looking forward to the team-ups every year. It was a regular annual event in the Justice League book, and I loved
1: the team-ups. They're all fun in one way or the other. Oh, there's so much. My first Justice League comic was one of these team-ups, you know, so it's, it's so exciting for me to be able to do these. And we really do need to give credit to the listeners, too, like Joe Cabrera and Ed, Ed Oboznar and some other folks in the comments last time we covered these team-ups who said, hey, we would love to see you guys do more of these JLA, JSA team-ups. And so that kind of sparked it, and, and an incredible amount of passion exploded to, to cover these. Now, we should probably sort of frame what we're doing here, because this first episode we're going to be talking about – the first first one, right? So we're going to be doing Justice League of America number 21 and Justice League of America number 22. But we are not going to go in chronological order after this. This is not going to be an index show. We're going to be jumping around to all kinds of different crossovers because we want a variety and we don't really want to get, uh, f- quite honestly, fatigued by the same creative team episode after episode after episode. Because I, like, I, I don't know about you, Rob, but my favorite stuff is really a lot of the later stuff, not necessarily the earliest stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, I... I the- Okay, yeah. I mean, some of the, <laughs> I, so, some of the early ones I like more than some of the other ones, but we really just didn't want to be locked into covering Gardner Fox and Mike zakowski JLA JSA team ups for like the next five six episodes. We did want to. We thought jumping around was more fun.
1: Exactly. And here's another thing that we didn't necessarily put in all the promos and stuff, but what we're going to do, too, is when we feel like it, we're going to break out of the Justice League issues and we're going to cover any kind of team up between the members of the Justice League and JSA. So we might end up covering the Flash of Two Worlds because, you know. You got the Barry Allen Flash and Jay Garrick Flash. Or maybe we'll cover some issues of DC Comics Presents featuring a JSA and JLA member or Batman Brave and the Bold or whatever. So it's going to give us an opportunity to dip in and out all over the continuity starting with 1963 forward and be able to say any point where a two, a JLA -er and a JSA -er were together. You know what? We can do that. So I find that very exciting.
0: Yeah, there is There is a whole, no pun intended, world of opportunity here <laughs> for, for things to cover. And he said, I'm really looking forward to it.
1: So this particular show, as we said, this, this one's called, you know, the whole feed is called Justice Society Presents. This particular show is called Crisis. And it's part of this anthology podcast. that's going to be featuring a variety of shows and a variety of hosts celebrating, you know, JSA, some of our favorite characters. And they're going to be touching on, you know, the golden age of comics, the Earth 2, the JSA, all of that kind of stuff. And in the coming months on this same feed, so the Justice Society Percent's feed, you'll be hearing other shows such as the Starman Chronicles, which currently has been living over as part of the Supermates podcast, but it's going to be moving over here. Chris and Cindy are are going to continue their coverage of the James Robinson Starman series uh, from beginning to end. Uh, Then we'll start a new show, uh, not us, but uh, Ryan Daly and Max Romero. We're going to start Same Man Mystery Theater, where they're going to be covering Matt Wagner and Steven Seagal's classic Vertigo series. That should be amazing. Then in the coming months and years after that, we're going to be adding further ongoing shows and one-off specials and things like that. Anything that celebrates the JSA or anything from Earth 2 or anything from the Golden Age comics, anything's eligible. Um, You know, We might do an episode on the upcoming animated Justice Society movie. I think that'd be a great idea to do a one-off on that. Also, uh, and this is this is kind of a big announcement, Rob hasn't even heard this yet, but uh, I am going to be launching my own new show on the JSA podcast feed called the Dr. Fate Panel by Panel Podcast, which is where I'm going to be covering Dr. Fate's appearance of first issue special, one panel per episode. I am so excited about it. It's going to be amazing because we
0: don't ever talk about that book on our network that's going to be an amazing show when you get down to the uh, the, the uh, panel borders talking about that that's going to be just really exciting
1: i think the Indycia uh episode's going to be really knock out of the park okay obviously i don't mean this folks i'm not really doing this but we love that we love everything about jsa and dr that dr fate first issue special is so amazing um oh how about this one I, I might start a podcast where i do dramatic readings of my own literature that i'm writing uh in a podcast called buzz off and uh it's essentially my slash fiction dedicated to the red bee <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I'm going to be doing Hour uh, Man minute by minute uh, where I confusingly break down every Hour Man story in one-minute chunks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, we could do this all day. <laughs> Maybe we'll have a segment of every episode of Crisis where we make up new shows. I don't know. <laughs> so, all right, uh, Rob, JSA, right? And Where did you discover them? What made you fall in love with them?
0: Well, I'm sure I discovered them via the Justice League. There's no way that, I, that 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 I didn't, because I said that was the first comic that I became really obsessed with, and I'm sure that was the introduction to it. And again, I'm, I've always been a devotee of the 1940s of that period of American history, and so the idea of mixing uh, an era that I was already interested in with superheroes was just so compelling. And another thing I liked was that, of course, the JSA, because they were older, they had to and were allowed to age. Uh, something I thought was always really interesting is that you could have Superman with the graying temples or Batman could have a daughter. I mean, they could – you could push the characters forward in a way that you couldn't with the standard versions because the standard Earth-1 versions had to stay – Superman has to be – and Batman of Earth-1 have to essentially be like 29 forever. Right. But the JSA right. versions, because they're tied to such a his- specific historical event – could age, and I always thought that was really cool. And it, it, obviously, it, DC allowed those characters to develop in ways that they really didn't let the other the other characters do. And I also liked, and we will get into this in various episodes, the differences between the planet. And of course, in every issue, they would talk about what the differences <laughs> are between these characters. Is that some, you know, but there's Superman on both planets, but then there's only one Doctor Fader, one Wildcat, you know. Well, come on, like that. say it. No. <laughs> uh, and so I really, I said I liked all that kind of stuff. It was just always really fascinating to me. And then it was cemented once uh, Roy Thomas launched All-Star Squadron because then it became a regular series where I could immerse myself in that world all the time. So I just, I always loved the Earth 2 concept, the multiple Earths concept. And I, I you know, we've talked about this in other episodes. I've always, I was always a little sad when they got rid of it. I understand why they did. But to me, the DC universe lost a little something once they, smooshed all the earths together
1: oh but they gained so much too they gained so much on the legacy side i mean i i i I tease a lot about and say the crisis was necessary and all that stuff because i do love what came afterwards uh now i will genuinely say yes i love the stuff beforehand especially what we're going to be covering but there was so much that you gained in the legacy realm from that era of 1985 to Really, more like 1992 when the JSA came back. Let's say that. So 92 when the JSA came back, up until what 2011 with the new 52, there was so much introduced about the legacy of the JSA that was just amazing. They did such great work with that. Well, for me, all right. So my first exposure to JSA, and I've talked about this before, so I won't dwell on it, was Justice League of America number 171, the death of Mister Terrific. Sorry, spoiler. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was the first time I saw them, learned about the multiple Earths. You know, it's not that I didn't love them at that point, but they just, you know, it was like, oh, that's neat. Moving on. Then Crisis on Infinite Earths, and then I, I. I've written back issues, back issues. I read Crisis on Earth Prime. And that's. I think Crisis on Earth Prime started to get me more interested in JSA. But where it really, really kicked off for me was around 1989 or 1990. I started reading the Dr. Fate book. And that got me interested in checking out more. So I dug into the 50-cent bins, uh, which I know uh, Professor Allen's horrified that something, someone would pay 50 cents for a comic. I know. I'm sorry. And I found pretty much a full run of the all-star comics revival from the 1970s. You know, starting with issue 58 forward. And I fell in love with this book. And I and it took me a while to figure out why. It's because this was the first time I ever read a JSA book where they were the stars. You know, they weren't guest stars like they were in all the Justice League books or Crisis or whatever. They were the stars of this book. And it was about their world. Uh, and, and, I, and I wasn't reading All-Star Squadron, and, you know, on a regular basis, which obviously came later. But because back issues, blah, blah, blah. So that All-Star Comics section really, really uh, hit spark something inside of me. in fact, uh, when, when DC started their message boards you know on, on online, my handle was actually super squad. For quite a while. <laughs> and, it, and no one seemed to remember it. It's amazing. it had only been, you know, I don't know, 10 or 15 years since that had happened, but like everyone had seemed to have forgotten. So, uh, and, and all this hit at the right time because then there was like in the early 1990s, there was that JSA miniseries that was so good. And then there was the 10 issue Mike Paraback series that was great. And I just, I was cemented as a doctor. I'm sorry, I'm a JSA fan forever. And I will say, ever since that Mike Paraback series, I have wanted to cosplay as Dr. Midnight so bad just to take that Mike Paraback version. Of Dr. Midnight and bring it to life Would be like my dream so.
0: That's a costume that really shouldn't work
1: And yet it does So many of the JSA costumes are like that. We're going to talk about one a little bit later, actually. So Now, Rob and I can talk about the JSA all day, and we will talk about the JSA forever, but we need to stop for a split second here and thank our sponsors. Folks, this episode of Justice Society Presents Crisis is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping on orders of $50 or more. What would you bring, Rob? All right. I decided to go super
0: obvious here, and I went with Crisis on Multiple Earths, Book One, Crossing Over. I don't know why it's given that subtitle. <laughs> it sounds like it's one of those things about mediums or something. But this is a, uh, a trade paperback collecting uh, Justice League of America numbers 21 and 22, which we'll be talking about tonight, twenty nine thirty, thirty seven thirty eight. And then it goes on and on up until 82 through 83. So you've got stories by Gardner Fox and Denny O'Neill, art by Mike Sikowski and Dick Dillon. The cover artist is Dave Gibbons doing, his, doing his version of the cover to Jaily number 21. We'll talk about that cover in a moment as well. This book comes out February 2nd. So as you're hearing it, uh, hearing oh, this wow. show, everybody, this book will just be hitting the stands a couple of days later. Uh, they don't. Uh, Insect Trades does not have a price yet for this book, but I mean it's a it's a typical trade paperback. It's probably somewhere in like the eighteen ninety five range. I mean in stock Trades price will be around thirteen dollars because all their trade paperbacks are typically forty to forty two percent off. So I mean these are gonna have all the classic JLA stories. With the JSA from the 60s.
1: That's awesome. I'm so glad these are coming back in print, too, because, uh, you know, the, the the trade paperback game is sort of a tricky business where what's in print and what's not. You kind of assume everything's going to be in print forever, but it doesn't stay that
0: no, way. No, right. It is. Stuff leaves. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> yeah. So uh, I picked DC First Issue Special Hardcover, which is a, a collection of this 13-issue <laughs> series. Rob has a real soft spot for this. He did, he's done one podcast episode on every single issue in this collection, actually. You're getting um, there. Uh, oh, do we still have some left to do? I thought oh, we hit them. Oh, there's still a couple left to do. Yep, yep. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you got titles, you know, a lot of obscure stuff that didn't go anywhere like Atlas or um Dingbats of Danger Street. Uh, then you have other characters like Manhunter or Warlord, which actually did spin out of this. Uh, did I say Lady Cop yet? Because if I hadn't said no, Lady Cop, no, you didn't get the Lady Cop. I, Cop I need yet, to say Lady yeah. Cop like six more times. We love Lady Cop here. Uh, Creeper, uh, New Gods, and Doctor Fate had an issue in here that I've already raved about a little bit earlier. And so this collects the whole thirteen issue runs by DC Comics. It's a hardcover. You get Jack Kirby working there, but for it, specifically, I'm leaning into this again for the Doctor Fate issue. You get Marty Pascal and Walt Simonson. So the full trade is two hundred seventy two pages. Normally retails for $39.99, but you get it for 42% off, so it's only $23.19. And it's worth it just for that Dr. Fate issue by God. Seeing it repackaged, recolored, in hardcover, it is so glorious. It is absolutely beautiful. So, folks, for these and all your trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com and let them know that the Fire & Water Podcast Network sent you. Now, we also need to thank uh, you folks at home for your Patreon support because running the Firewater Podcast Network with so many shows and so many hosting fees and things like that, it, it takes a lot of money. And we reached out and asked for you guys for help, and you guys really stepped up. And as I always say, I can, we really wouldn't be on the air if it weren't for your help right now. So thank you so much. So if you're enjoying shows like this, please consider supporting us uh, by visiting our Patreon. What's that, Rob? patreon.com slash fwpodcasts and there you can support the firewater podcast network and at certain sponsorship tiers you get mentioned on your favorite firewater shows just like these folks our thanks to david ace gutierrez gord tolton and keith g baker so thanks again folks and thank you to everyone who supports us on patreon that's patreon.com slash fwpodcasts all right rob you know what we're here it is time to talk about the very first justice league of america and justice society crossover oh so excited
0: yeah, I mean, the, the, of course, uh, the 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 concept of the multiverse was born in Flash number one twenty three, where the Golden Age Flash was brought back at uh, featuring a cover of which you are very familiar with, Shaq. Oh yeah, uh, but uh, but they, I mean, this was the natural evolution of well, we've brought back the Flash. Why not bring back everybody? And this was the beginning of that was Justice League of America number twenty one. Well, not not that I don't
1: love correcting you. Oh, wait, no, I totally love correcting you. Okay. So by this point, when this issue comes out, the JSA had actually already returned in Flash number 137 when they fought Vandal Savage, and Vandal Savage kidnapped the JSA, and both Flashes had to help save them. So this is, uh, now they didn't cross over the Justice League, but they did meet Barry Allen in that instance.
0: That's, you know what? I forgot about that. I keep forgetting that that was before this. Yep, correct. By only about two months. So, I mean, it's not by much. Okay, all right. Well, thanks so much for that, Shag. I can see this (laughs) this show is not going to be tremendously different than the other shows we do together. So, yeah, this is Justice League of America number 21, cover dated August 1963. It was on sale June 20th, 1963. The perfect summer comic uh, for kids to enjoy in 1963. The story is Crisis on Earth 1 by the aforementioned Gardner Fox, Mike Sikowski, and Bernard Sachs. Before we get to the story, I want to talk about the cover a little bit. I already mentioned it in the Instruct Trades recommendation. This cover is about... As iconic as it gets. And you've got the Justice Leaguers sitting around a table holding a seance. They're all holding their hands. There's a crystal ball. And then floating out of the crystal ball is this puff of smoke. And in it are the members of the JSA. And, you know, it, I really like to make sure these things get mentioned because it's, it's really hard to do. This cover features 14 people.
1: 14. That's, a lot, that's a lot of people.
0: That is a lot of people. And they're all wearing goofy costumes <laughs> on top of it. And yet it is not crowded. You know, it looks, it's, it's spatially, it's perfect. I mean, this image became so iconic. It was repeated across various comics over the years. And like I said, I just mentioned it was it's covered, Dave Gibbons covers it on the uh, the trade paperback. But I mean, and it's even got room for two different blurbs. Yeah. Back after 12 years, legendary superstars of the Justice Society of America featuring Crisis on Earth 1. And yet it. It all hangs together. All the character positioning. Everyone is leaning different ways, so everybody gets uh, is seen. Although there is one character missing.
1: Uh, there's actually not. two characters missing.
0: Well, one from the Justice League. I mean, and one and one from the JSA, and one from the JSA.
1: And they're but, both the
0: same. Right. Exactly. We'll figure out why that is momentarily. But I just want to take a moment to appreciate the cover because it is just it is it's just marvelous. It's just a
1: marvelous image. Well, I wanted to point out something interesting. Here. So the cover says. Back after 12 years, the legendary stars of the Justice Society of America, which is very exciting. It's like, oh, my gosh, wow. Because you know, they were out of publication from 1951 to 1963. Now, that's a long time, except you know what? It really isn't. I started thinking about this the other day. 12 years. Okay. Now, now in, in old school, I realize the comic readers turned over every what five years or something. But uh, if you really think about it, uh, 12 years, that's like us here in 2021 saying, wow, it's been a long time since 2009 since I saw that character. Which really, to me, 2009 just feels like a couple of days ago. I mean, that, that's the year I started the Firestorm fan blog. That doesn't feel that long ago at all.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, I, I could see what you're saying. I mean, maybe, uh, to, I mean, you have to remember, though, comic book, the average comic book reader was like eight or nine yeah. at, at that point. And there was a, the, the whole point was to have turnover of your audience. So to, to probably the average kid reading this comic, he had no idea what the Justice Society was because that was before he was born.
1: Yeah, I mean it's probably a case of like a dad talking to his kid going, "Oh, look, check this out. These guys I used to read her back." Yeah, that kind right. of thing. So I don't
0: I don't know what relationship you have with your dad, but my dad didn't ever send anything like that to me.
1: My like... dad uh frequently told me how he owned a copy of Superman number 1 and traded it away for like maybe some marbles. Uh... Um, yeah, now it's probably beat to hell at the time and you know, it, it, it in 19 the early 1940s, marbles were a better trade. So Oh man! Oh, I know. So I know.
0: So All okay. Right. Uh, so anyway, said so I just wanted to do a f- few words about the cover because I just
1: I love it so much. So okay, we've got the uh, the wait, uh, the... wait, wait. I get to do this part. Okay, uh, go ahead. As we open the comic, we've got to call the roll, call the roll, call the roll of the Justice League. Uh,
0: uh, 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 uh. <laughs> love that song. So, yes, uh, the Justice League involved in this story are uh, Adam, Aquaman, Flash, Green Arrow, Green Lantern, John's John, Superman, Wonder Woman. Um, I, it frustrates me a little that it's not entirely alphabetical.
1: W- it's, why also, does, it's also why missing. Did... See, so you're reading it from the comic. I wrote it out for you here. Yes. Uh, it, so you're missing someone. Do you notice there's actually someone missing from the listing? From, what, from the story or from your listing? No, the roll call that's written in the comic. They left out Batman. Right, that's right. He's not. Dead. <laughs> he's sitting right there the, on the screen or on the page, but they left him out of the listing. <laughs> I also hate.
0: I, I don't know why. I hate that he's called John Johns. He's the, to me, he's the Martian Manhunter. Was he not officially the Martian Manhunter at this point? We'll have to. We'll I'll have to ask Frank. Have to Frank yeah, have to ask Frank about that. But anyway, so yeah. But Batman is left off, even though he's right there on the right there on the splash page. Yep. Um,
1: so for the Justice Society, the roll call is Doctor Fate, Black Canary, Our Man. Hawkman, which is Carter Hall; Flash, who's Jay Garrick; Green Lantern, Alan Scott, and the Adam Al Pratt. I can't help but notice you gave Doctor Fate top billing. Uh, gosh! I wonder how that happened. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> all right. So we're going to let's
0: get into the story here. I said it's called Crisis on Earth One. Uh, it starts at the JS, JLA's secret sanctuary. So at the secret sanctuary, Batman alerts the rest of the JLA that a new team of supervillains called the Crime Champions, patent pending, consisting of Kronos. <laughs> Felix Faust and Dr. Alchemy are striking at various cities. The JLA, of course, splits into three teams to take them on. Meanwhile, on Earth 2, the Justice Society is similarly challenged by a trio of bad guys. The Wizard, the Fiddler, and the Icicle. And the JSA (laughs) is eager to get back in action after so many years of retirement. Aquaman, Martian Manhunter, and the Atom go after Felix Faust, who disappears into a mist before he can be caught. The same thing happens to the other heroes, just as they are about to nab Faust and Kronos. We see the three villains meeting up with the three villains from Earth-2. They have devised a plan to hide out on each other's Earths, thereby eluding their respective foes. Since the two Flashes are the only heroes who know about the duplicate Earths, the Wizard, the Fiddler, and the Icicle disguise themselves as the Earth-1 villains and take on the JLA, trapping them in their sanctuary. Realizing magic is involved, the JLAers decide to fight fire with fire, metaphorically, and use a crystal ball to contact the one missing JLAer, the Flash. The Flash explains the whole Earth 2, and then the JLA summons the JSA to their world. After juicing themselves to one another, Doctor Fate transports the jail layers to Earth 2, and the JSA heads out on Earth 1 to each take on their arch enemies. To be continued, of course.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, we'll do the recap for Justice League of America number 22, and then we'll kind of sort of discuss all of it together. So this was this cover date of September 1963. And the title, remember the last one was Crisis on Earth 1. This one's Crisis on Earth 2. Again, by Gardner Fox, Mike Sikowski, and Bernard Sachs. On sale July 25th, 1963. So after a massive text piece to catch up the reader, I mean, this thing's huge. Uh, the, the Green Lanterns of both Earth-1 and Earth-2 embark on a rescue mission into interdimensional space to try and find the Flashes. The just, meanwhile, the Justice Society of America pursues their enemies over on Earth-1. So you get the Golden Age Adam and Our Man. They confront the Fiddler at the Clayville National Histi- History Museum. Our heroes are attacked by stuffed animal exhibits brought to life by the Fiddler's music. Eventually, the Earth-2 Adam and Our Man bring down the Fiddler. Now, Dr. Dr. Fate, meanwhile, confronts the icicle at an open-air art gallery. The icicle freezes Dr. Fate in a column of ice, and Fate escapes and overwhelms the icicle in a sudden flash flood. Then the Golden Age Hawkman and the Black Canary confront the Wizard. The Wizard gets the upper hand against both our heroes, but ultimately, Hawkman defeats the Wizard. Now, remember, all that's taking place on Earth-1. Meanwhile, the Justice League of America pursue their enemies to Earth-2. There we get the JLA's Adam, we get Green Arrow, and we get Martian Manhunter, or apparently John Jones. Uh, they confront Felix Faust at a carnival. Faust's magic sets on the leaguers a spinning, but the Mighty Might punches out Felix Faust. Then Batman and Wonder Woman confront Dr. Alchemy in the mountains. Dr. Alchemy uses the power of his Philosopher's Stone to transform the Batplane and Wonder Woman's Invisible Jet into winged bucking broncos. Yeah, we'll be talking about that. Working together, Dr. Alchemy is disarmed of the Philosopher's Stone and subdued. Then Superman and Aquaman working together confront Kronos at a lighthouse. Surprisingly, Kronos gets the upper hand. Later, Aquaman's telepathy tracks Kronos' uh, escape through the sea. By uh, Aquaman does all this by communicating with a variety of marine life, and then Superman brings Kronos to justice. Then back on Earth One, I'm sorry, then back to Earth One and Earth Two Green Lanterns, they locate f- both the flashes. Uh, they're trapped in an interdimensional prison. They've been imprisoned by the crime champions, so the Green Lanterns figure out how to free the flashes. But there was a trap the moment they do. They trigger a failsafe that transports them along with the rest of the Justice League of America and the Justice Society of America into these interdimensional cages, which is all over the cover of number two, by the way, which we need to talk about still. And each cage is specifically designed to counter the abilities of the heroes trapped within. Now, Ray Palmer, the Atom, can't seem to shrink out of his cage because, again, the cages are designed to stop him. But he suggests the Green Lantern should try that method to escape theirs. So once both the Justice League and the Justice Society are released they journey to Earth 2 for a final confrontation with crime champions. Unaware uh, of the escape, the crime champions try to flee to Earth 3, which I think is, by the way, the first mention of Earth 3. Now, before they can manage to create a portal to Earth 3, the heroes are upon them. And an epic battle ensues. The crime champions are defeated. In the aftermath, the Justice League of America and the Justice Society of America agree to maintain contact with each other should the need to join forces ever arise again. The end. Woof. All right now before we get into it, we should discuss the covers now i'm uh, by the way i didn 't mention i 'm curious what what way are you reading these issues right now
0: Well, uh, I have scans of them. I have these original issues, but i 'm looking at scans right now but you have
1: the original issues Dude, that 's awesome yeah. I have uh, the Hardcover, the Archive Edition, these giant $50 books they were putting out back in the, in the 90s, the Just League of America Archives Volume 3. I bought I think the first seven volumes at the ridiculous price tag and thinking I, uh, I would you know – I'd read them all the time and I never really got around to it. But I'm <laughs> glad to have – having the opportunity to bust these out now. So anyway, so here we go. The cover of number 22, it's this all-blue sort of space scape or interdimensional space. And you'd see in the foreground, Alan Scott and Hal Jordan are blasting these interdimensional cages or these giant... All like All li- typical, like you see zoo lion cages drawn in a comic book. They're like a very small space with a couple of bars, and they're floating in the air, and each one contains two people, and they're all chained together. And so they, they sort of paired people off, like the two Flashes are together, Wonder Woman and Black Canary are together, Hawkman and John Jones are together, and then Green Arrow and the Atom, I guess because they're both useless, are together. And it says, uh, a sensational superstar, spectacular, featuring the Justice League and Justice Society. Crisis on Earth 2! And then Alan Scott's thinking, only by using our combined might of our power rings can we hope to free our fellow members trapped in those space prisons. Dun, dun, dun. So what do you think of the cover?
0: I, it's a great cover. It's not as iconic as the first one, but but it doesn't matter. It's still really, really exciting. I like the uh, the perspective of it. We've got the two green lanterns in the foreground and then the cages in the background. The, sp- the It's interesting that it's colored blue, not black. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're in outer space. Uh, but I can't help but notice... You see the mistake on this cover?
1: Uh oh. Um, is it because we have to look at Hal Jordan's junk, or I mean Alan Scott's junk and Hal Jordan's butt? Is that what the problem? No,
0: that that's there's nothing wrong with that. There's an actual
1: there's an actual mistake on this cover. I'm looking. at It's uh. I don't see Batman. I don't see Superman. Uh, all these characters do appear in the comic. No, I'm I'm not getting it. What is it? All right,
0: if you look closely, the Atom is wearing his 1940s mask he's wearing uh, the, he's wearing the hood he's wearing the wrestler hood but he had long since changed into the uh, half headgear with the fin on it which he's uh, he's he has seen throughout the story uh wearing but in that little cover there I, Mike Sikowski must have forgotten that and drew him in his 1940s mask
1: that is int- I did not catch that that is really uh that's really clever okay so he's
0: Good. got he's got the 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 co- the, the tunic of the modern costume uh, for the time, but the old mask. So yeah, he doesn't have the giant, the
1: giant belt. You're right. So, yeah, it's yep. the more one. Yeah, yep. okay. Yep, yep. I do like how Hal uh, – that's a very Gil Kane sort of pose for Hal. And yes. I, I like how Hal and Alan both are, have different body language. I like that.
0: You know it's Murphy Anderson inked it though when you could see Green Lantern's little
1: booty – He's got pointed boots. He loves. Mervy Andrews love pointed boots. All right. Well, we need to get into the issues. I do want to point out one thing. We, we spent so much time talking about the cover of 21. I do love that the splash page on 21, and once you get inside, is the reverse because the cover is the JLA sitting around doing the seance and seeing the JSA floating. When you get inside, it's the JSA all hanging out, and then they're seeing in the clouds. They so see the JLA. So right. I, th- I, I like that. It's a nice touch.
0: Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the uh, the opening said we we discussed the plot of the story. I I love the idea that this is something Gardner Fox just loved. He had such a conceit that like the heroes could kind of only take on their villains, <laughs> and like it was almost like these villains were sort of like, hey. I'm a Batman villain. So if I show up in Metropolis, Superman really can't even do anything to me. It's like, it doesn't work that way. Right. <laughs> you guys know that you guys are super villains. They're going to take you on. So this idea that like the fiddler is going to go over to earth one and just basically go on a crime rampage. And the, the, all the heroes of the just of uh, earth one are just going to go like, yeah, I don't know who that guy is, but let's not worry about it. We, he's not one of my villains it's like this. It's like, Gardner Fox love that, that notion. And I, also, I do enjoy too on the the uh, second page of the, the first story after the JLA split up and they do the, you know, they decide. And I love they have their little conversations as they're running out of the kit. Why the broad grin, Green Arrow? I was right. just thinking about Snapper, which no one ever is. So that's. <laughs> but then we cut to the Justice Society and they're all just sitting around in their rec room.
1: Like yes. in their
0: costume? I just find that very charming.
1: Well, it's... Alright, so the interesting thing there is, you know, as we said, they, they got together in Flash 137, right? For the first time in, in 12 years, the team got back together. And they decided, hey, we really miss this. We should get back together and be a team on a regular basis. So what you're seeing here is actually the first meeting, official, because they love their bylaws on Earth 2 as well, apparently. Uh, first official meeting of the JSA back together. In fact, there's one point where Dr. Fate waves in the air a bunch of telegrams from <laughs> from Starman, Sandman, Waterman, and Dr. Midnight, who apparently were not invited to the meeting because they have a charter that insists they can only have seven members at a time. I'm like, what is this like? What happened to the Avengers kind of thing? It's uh, it's kind of weird that they have that. Other than Mike, Mike Sadowski says, look, I don't want to draw everybody. I think
0: that's what it is. I think that's <laughs> the artist is like, please, can you not? I'm already drawing yeah, you know, the Justice League is already nine people. You're killing me, Gardner. Right. Come on. Right. You know.
1: <laughs> now, you mentioned the Crimes Champions. I want to mention that real quick. I actually, okay, I, I, all the joking aside about villains and stuff like that, but as far as who's who's villain, they actually have a pretty solid plan, which is to steal a bunch of money. Like, you know, the Earth 2 guys are going to steal a bunch of money on Earth 2, and the Earth 1 guys are going to steal a bunch of money on Earth 1. And then they're just simply going to swap places. Because the Earth-2 guys are supposed to go to Earth-1 then and just live their lives as regular citizens who have millions of dollars and nobody will be looking for them, which I think is very clever. And then the Earth-2 – you know, and vice versa, they, they switch Earths and just get to live out their lives with their, their, the money they stole, and no one will be the wiser. I think that's actually pretty clever.
0: Yeah, it's not a bad plan. I mean, and Felix – I don't mean to – make Felix Faust was actually a pretty good villain. Uh, Kronos is you know, maybe not that impressive <laughs> uh, or the, or the fiddler. Uh, but no, I feel like Faust was a genuine villain. He was, he was a magic guy. So he had a lot going on. And, and in the opening chapter, um, the crisis in on earth one, chapter two, where he's pulling off his crime and Aquaman and Manhunter and Adam go after him. Like it, stuff looks really cool. He's got this, he's, he creates a stairwell in the ocean, which looks really cool. And then he creates this sort of vortex where all these things are shooting up into the, into the air. And that's where Aquaman is in there with his finny friends and he's still commanding, Uh, All of them to go after Felix Faust. Like, that all looks really cool. And Mike Zakowski again, gives it some great visual
1: uh, invention. I want to echo what you were just talking about. Yeah, uh, on page six, there is a wall of water. And Aquaman, and you can see all of his finny fins swimming around in there, just like like a pacing tiger waiting to attack Felix Faust. And Aquaman's commanding. It is an impressive damn panel. It is really, really good. It blew me away.
0: Yeah, it looks really cool. Mike Sikowsky was, a, a, even at the time, I think considered an odd choice for this book because he wasn't a particular like fan favorite artist, even if, if you could even have such a thing in 1963 in, in comics. But like not, you know, it wasn't Gil Kane or even like Kurt Swan or Murphy Anderson. And then Sikowski does, he has a weird, his anatomy is strange for a superhero comic. Like people aren't really very muscular. They're kind of stocky. Yeah, kind of barrel-chested, yeah. Yeah, they're very barrel-chested, so it's kind of... But he was great at figure... Much like um, Ross Andrew would be very soon after this, he was great at figures in motion and great at figures from various angles. That was Mm. something he was really good at. And then the very next page, on page 7, there's a panel where the atom is flying through the air, and he says, Now blow, Martian Manhunter, as hard as you can! And, well, okay. But, I mean, there's this... The close up of of John Jones and the camera is slightly below him, pointing upwards. Oh, I see. But yet yeah. it's a yet it's a profile. That is really hard to draw and make it look right. And on top of it, he has this interesting lighting on it. I mean that's that's really, really hard. And it takes extra work to give it that angle as opposed to just drawing it straight on. So Sikowski, while it may not be the most glamorous work in the world, it the the sort of kineticism that he brings to it really worked for Justice League because as, you, as you, uh, you, know, you did the story synopsis and I did mine, like Gardner Fox crammed 80 pages of story into <laughs> a 24-page story. Back when I was doing The Shrine and I started doing issue recaps of classic Justice League comics, it dawned on me that it took me half a day to write recaps of Gardner Fox stories because so much happened. I mean, it would be like page three, and now we're on the third alien planet. like, oh, my God. It's so complicated. So Gardner Fox was throwing – he just was – he was burning through ideas at a, at a lightning pace.
1: Last night my wife was like, hey, you want to – we're going to watch a show together. She's like, want to watch – I'm like, yeah, I got to read two comics real quick. She's like, OK, that won't take long, right? I'm like, well. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> these are going to take a while. <laughs> yeah.
0: Gardner, Gardner Fox just – he man, he had such an imagination. He just went through so many concepts so fast.
1: I, I think one of the I, – I, I love these issues for what they are. But at the same time, as a, as a more modern comic reader, I do struggle with some of the stuff. I mean there's a lot of hokey complex traps and the bad guys have a lot of almost Adam West sort of like just the right tool kind of thing, which is well, a they're, little – They're eh. all plot. They're all plot. There's no yeah. theme. It's all just plot. Exactly, and, and that's and and along those same lines, all the characters have very, very generic personalities. You know, yes. this is long before you saw different. You, you could basically take the personality of any one of the JLA characters and plug it in for any of them. They're just all identical, and, and that's Wonder not a bad. What's that?
0: Including Wonder Woman. I mean, yeah. other than some occasional comments, Wonder Woman talks like Superman, talks like Batman, talks like Aquaman.
1: Yeah. So it, 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 I feel like it almost lets down uh, Mike sikowski 's art a little bit. By the way, I said his name wrong earlier. I've been super careful because what I'm trying to avoid saying is Mike Wazowski, which is from Monsters, Inc. And so I'm trying not to say that. So I've said Sadowski, sikowski I'm saying it all over the board there. But anyway, so um, I, I want to talk about some of the plot stuff if we can. I, I, I don't mean to pull it away from the art. We can certainly jump back and forth. But like we were talking about certain characters you, you, you picked on Kronos. I've discovered, at least back then, in the, in the sixties, the most terrifying thing about Kronos was his mask. At that point, it's a creepy mask. Yeah. Yeah, because like later on, now I know why the character evolved to the point where you know when you see him nowadays, or at least in the in the eighties, his mask covers his whole face, you know, all the way around his mouth, and like the it goes up into his lips. Like, how does that work? How does he have the <laughs> mask? How does he have a mask in his mouth? Well, here's why, folks. Because back then he had a cutout for his mouth and a cutout for his eyes, and he looks like a terrifying clown. Yeah, it's freaky. It's supposed it's- to look cute, but not so much.
0: Well, is this supposed to look cute? I don't know if it's supposed well, to look cute, I don't, but okay. yeah, it's upset. He has one of the doofiest costumes in the world. He's got, <laughs> he's got that mask, as you said, and he's got a yellow cape and he's got a little uh, sundial, uh, not sundial, excuse me, like a, the, the little sand hourglass. dial. Yeah, hourglass, excuse me, yes, on his chest, and then red underwear, uh, a yellow belt, and then striped pants. I mean, it is just such an odd lot costume. Uh, and it's the kind of th- – I don't even know. I'm just guessing. I'm sure that he was brought back in the 90s as like a bad guy, like a worse guy, and he was like a killer. And They probably gave him like a badass costume. I don't want to see that. <laughs> I like this I like this ridiculous costume that he's got.
1: Uh, Gil Kane actually designed – I think it was – well, I, I know Gil Kane did some art behind it. Designed a, a more like business look. Kind of suit for a while there. Uh, nah, you um, got come
0: on, you gotta be here going and then Kronos
1: yeah. became a hero, which was not this guy, but a different guy got the power set and became a hero. But oh, um Lord. Dr. Alchemy, I gotta touch on this. So, like Felix Faust, magic. Totally get it. You know, the fiddler, not exactly magic, but it's sound that apparently can do anything. Okay, sure. Uh Dr. Alchemy, apparently his gun is like magic or like Firestorm. He can just change anything into anything. I, I, how does that work? He he turned an airplane into a, a flying horse. What? Yeah, that's not alchemy.
0: That's right. How, I mean, alchemy is kind of a magic word. That's the whole like turning things into gold, I guess. But yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's not that's not alchemy. That's really not. There's no basis for science there. That's just straight up magic.
1: Like, did he did he understand the biochemistry of the way a, a horse's heart works to make all that <laughs> happen? I mean, come on, man. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. Uh, and, I, do, uh,
0: I love it when the villains get together, though, uh, when they all – and they're all kind of talking like they're just like a bunch of guys around a card table. Yes! Like it, there isn't there, – again, there isn't any real characterization, but and I don't mean to keep dragging it back to Mike Sikowski, but there's this uh, – the chapter three, the first page of chapter three, when they get all get together and they're all – hunched over the table and they're practically like <laughs> and they all they all look like a bunch of crumb bums which is just really fun like sukowski gives it a personality that fox isn't necessarily through the writing but they all just look like shifty looking guys which is funny and then of course they're all sitting there in these ridiculous costumes and they're all just talking to each other and i even like that the fiddler has like his fiddle up on the table i used to remind everybody i'm the fiddler everybody right. i'm the fiddler
1: Well, they all look like such regular schmoes, like their faces, like I I actually, I can imagine like Fiddler being like, hey, Wizard, can can you give me a ride home when we're done here? My car's in the shop. You know, like I I imagine a very generic kind of like uh, living life rough kind of conversation thing. I'm depressed because uh, we get the JSA, who we should be talking more about, by the way, not just all all the JLA stuff, but the JSA gets some short shrift in here because they focus on the Justice League and how they go to battle, especially in the first part, go to battle all the crimes champions. But the Earth 2 ones, we just get like a one-page sort of brief recap, like, oh, yeah, the JSA got their their butt handed to them. Oopsies.
0: Yeah. Yeah. By the way, that's, again, a great laid-out page. I love the – the three villains on the left-hand side telling the story. But, yeah, yeah they do, they do kind of get short-triffed a little. But, of course, they'll get more to do in the next issue.
1: They absolutely do. They absolutely do. So
0: I do have a story point uh, that I'm curious about, is that the whole thing is that they kidnap the two Flashes. The villains kidnap the two Flashes because they're the only ones that know about uh, – on Earth-1, they're the only, Flash, the Barry Allen Flash, is the only hero that knows about the different Earths. Right. So that's why they're kidnapped, right? Okay.
1: The the idea is so once the villains rob everything and they swap places, you know, Barry Allen wouldn't be able to identify on Earth-1 the Icicle, the Fiddler, and the Wizard and vice versa on Earth-2. Jay would not be able to identify Kronos, Felix Faust, and Doctor Alchemy.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So what I'm confused at is unless this story, JLA number 21, takes place, I don't know, an hour after Flash number 137 – Did the Flash really not have time to tell the Justice League that there was an entire other Earth featuring superheroes on it? Wouldn't that be the first thing you would mention to somebody if you found that out?
1: Okay, so um, – I'm sorry. Flash of Two Earths is what? Issue 123, if I remember correctly. And we know up to – issue 137 just came out two months before this. So they're probably on 139. So he's had over a year to tell them. So that's a whole lot of – (laughs) <laughs> what the hell, Barry? I actually have a, I have a line here that says, Flash tells the JLA about the JSA. And it happens literally in a in – a, not even a word balloon, guys. It happens in a narration box. It says, after Flash relates what happened to him and his companions and explains about the Twin Earths, that's all you get. Dude, that requires a whole issue unto itself of like, what the hell do you mean there's another Superman? Are you freaking kidding me? Yeah, that seems like a big thing that you would want to tell – Everybody. Yes. It's sort of like – well, this is a little (laughs) dark and grim, but it's sort of like when when, uh, Aquaman's son, Arthur Jr., gets killed and the JLA never talk about that either. Yeah. It's like seriously, guys? You are the worst at communication. You are terrible friends.
0: Yeah. You would think Flash would uh, – that's the one when I was rereading the story. I went, wait a minute. What? Like they kidnapped Flash because he hasn't told them yet. Like, what else did he have to do? I mean, what are you talking about? So, he had to go stop
1: Captain Cold.
0: Yeah, so. uh, yeah, right. Yeah, we got, to, we got to fight Abracadabra for another month. Like, what, what are you talking about? Well, that's that's crazy.
1: I do want to say the place where the flashes are held and where the the. Uh, the, the crimes champions were all meeting each other. Like we talked about the scene around them around the table. It's a pretty swank uh, interdimensional sort of hangout, man. I, <laughs> it I, is. I wouldn't mind having a place like that. It looks, really nice. it,
0: it looks like uh, the offices of, uh, of, uh, of Sterling Cooper from Mad Men. It's, it's,
1: <laughs> it's pretty nice. So nice, nice digs guys. Yep. I, I only got a couple other notes to discuss Uh green arrow. Of course he has arrows full of lead paint. Jeez, Oliver, kind of lead paint. Really? What about the kids? Oh my God. <laughs> then uh you're talking about mike mike art here when alchemy uh robs the armored car and then by the way later turns the fender into wings i don't get how that works but anyway when he robs the armored car he stops it suddenly and all of the guys the arm the the security guards fall out of the vehicle and land on their freaking heads. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's on page eight. It looks so painful. And I'm like, I I feel that guy's neck breaking. And I'm like, Oh my, but it's all down to Sikowski. So well done, sir. Well done.
0: (laughs) Yeah. He said he was good. He loved figures flying through the air. He was really, really good at that. Uh, Near the end of the story. uh, There's something that was funny when the JLA are all trapped in the secret sanctuary and they're like, how do we communicate? And Batman says, well, we have this uh, magic ball that Merlin gave us. Like, <laughs> what? First of all, Batman being the one that brings it up, which is really funny. But I just like the idea that, like, they have this thing just laying around the secret sanctuary of, like, oh, yeah, we have this crystal ball that this famous mythological uh, legendary character gave us. And, then, and of course, there's an ender's note, see Justice League of America number two, which is sort of funny because you have to think this is 1963. J.L.A. is up to number 21, CJLE number twenty number two. How?
1: Oh good. How would I do that? That's a good point, yeah. How would I
0: do that, editor? I don't know. I mean th- that was two years ago. There's no comic book shops. What am I supposed to do? Wait, they,
1: they didn't have DC Universe Infinite uh digital comics yeah, in back no, then? no, I don't believe they did.
0: Uh, <laughs> so that you know that part is just like a little little bewildering. But I like that Batman is just like, Well, let's have a seance. Wait, let's try it. Like, <laughs> all right. Yeah, to they be fair because they do.
1: Well, to be fair, the the globe had been used earlier in the issue. Uh, Felix Faust used it to communicate with the JLA and taunt them. Or actually, it was the Wizard. I'm sorry, in disguise as Felix Faust, well, taunted taunted the JLA. So we, it wasn't. Um, it was sort of a Chekhov's gun. Like they showed it, and then it paid off later on. But yeah, the 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 seance thing. Where's that coming from? I, you know, okay, Batman. I didn't know you were into the whole Swami thing, but that's cool. Yeah.
0: Right. Right. Um, and then one last thing that I will mention near the end of this first issue that I love, and I don't know if – this is partly a story thing and partly an art thing. I love it. I know,
1: I know what you're going to say. I know it. Okay. Well, go ahead if you think you know what it is. It's the scene of the JLA and the JSA together and Al Pratt bending down to yes. shake Ray Palmer's hand. Yes. I knew it. I
0: just knew. Yes. I, well, first of all, I love that Gardner Fox decided to give that moment to them all. That they just for a moment are like, hey, let's hang out, everybody. And we're all talking. And then, you know, there are super villains on the loose, and yet we're <laughs> all gonna take time to chat a little bit. In fact, in the background, you see the two green lanterns, yep. and they're like they're like showing showing each other's rings. Yep. Like, oh, yeah, cool. What's your ring do? Wood, <laughs> really? Yellow? That's kind of weird. Our man is talking to Green, and again, I and this this to me had to be a Sikowski touch of like you just said. the the Earth-2 atom leaning over to shake the hand of the tiny atom who's on the ground. I just think that's such a charming little touch. I just, again, I've said it before, I love superheroes being social together. That just, it just warms my heart. But I like that in in a story that is so chock-a-block with stuff that they took this one panel, at least, to kind of like, hey, let's have a party, everybody. And of course, that would be something that would go on all the way till the end, that we yeah. see these heroes getting together in some sort of social situation.
1: I adore it. And you get even in our Aquaman moment in the back, he's holding hands with, our shaking hands probably with Black Canary, which is pretty cool. I mean, little, little do they know that she'll become a major member of their team. I wonder if Green Arrow has already given her the eye at this point. Um, probably. I mean, come on, it's it's Oliver. So <laughs>
0: yeah, she was she was married, but what did he care about that stuff? Oh,
1: that's okay. right. Good point. Now, I do th- this. This page is a good one for me to demonstrate one point. There is a as a Doctor Fate fan, uh, I do have a, a pretty major nitpick with this comic, mm, which is gloves. No gloves. That's right. Because Doctor Fate, um, it, it, he didn't start with gloves, so that is accurate. You know, back in the nineteen forties but i went through my dr fate uh, archives last night and looked by his ninth appearance which was in January 1941, he did have gloves. So he got them pretty early on. So that issue where he gets the gloves was on the shelves about the same time as all-star comics, number four, which would have been the second JSA appearance. So I would say the first two appearances of Dr. Fate in the JSA, no gloves. That makes sense. After that, he should have had gloves. So it almost seems like uh Sikowski was looking at the first couple issues of the, uh, of the team for that reference. But that doesn't necessarily hold water, though, because then Hawkman's got a different mask. I, I don't know when the uh, the wrestler mask got started for Hawkman, actually.
0: I don't either. I, yeah, Roy Thomas would probably be able to explain that. Well, of course that, he I'm can. sure he yeah. Would. Uh, But, yeah, the thing I like about Dr. – well, many things I liked about Dr. Fate. But the idea that um, his costume is you don't see any flesh at all. Gives him a slight feeling of of kind of inhumanity, which I mm-hmm. like. I think it works for the character. So him with having bare hands just to me just doesn't work. He yeah. should be you should see no flesh on Doctor Fate at all.
1: Yeah, it doesn't work. And then the whole idea when they took off took away the mask and all that stuff, and or the yeah. half mask and all that. The half mask, that was. yeah. Yeah, and and there's also – there's some inconsistencies in here. Like sometimes uh, Dr. Fate's shown with the gold shoulder pads that he's got. Other times he's shown without them. So those kind of seem to come and go a bit here. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's the gloves that really mattered on that. Well – oh, Earth 3. We should mention that. So the the villains – actually say that they could get away to, there must be, you know, if there's an Earth-1 and Earth-2, there must be an Earth-3. So they uh, they think about that. That's the first mention of Earth-3. So interesting that, you know, uh, Gardner was already starting to sort of plant the seeds. Maybe he was thinking about what maybe Earth-3 might be like.
0: Yeah, it didn't take long. I think it was only about another six issues before they brought
1: that concept into. Yeah, the- probably true. Well, uh, Rob, that's my notes before we get into our special features. You got any more notes you want to touch on before we get to the features? Uh, no, let's get to them. All right, folks. So one of the things we wanted to do for this show was to have some fun discussions and have some uh, sort of a discussion starter. So we have developed these features where each one of us is going to nominate one item to discuss uh, amongst a category. Well, I'll just get to it. For example, uh, the first category, and, and maybe we need some help from you people at home naming these categories, but the first category is going to be the MVP. Who was the most valuable player for each team? You know, maybe we should call it something like, I don't know, the key to the city award. I don't know, whatever. Anyway, which member of the JLA and which member of the JSA did the best job and deserves recognition? Uh, Rob? Rob? you want to tell me your picks first? Hmm. I mean, I kind of always want to give these things to
0: Aquaman, but in this case, it's not really fair. Okay. Uh, I mean, in a weird way, even though Flash is not part of the story, he's such the fulcrum of it that I kind of feel like I have to give it to him, even though in this first issue, he doesn't do anything. Uh, but it just to me, it's like he is the catalyst for... He's the connection between these two teams, and hmm. the, the JLA just don't understand what's going on until they f- literally get into him, and then he's like, let me tell you all what's going on. And so I, I feel like he's the most important figure of the story, even though he doesn't get in on any of the action. Interesting.
1: Okay. That's, that's very reasonable. I, I went, now we're talking about justice league first here. I went with Ray Palmer, the atom because there's two moments in both between the two issues where he is the key of, of a powerful team of like Martian Manhunter, who, by the way, gets sidelined in this thing, a whole bunch. Like every time Superman does something cool with his vision, Martian Manhunter's like, my, my, my vision powers do that too. You know, it's (laughs) like, I feel really bad anyway. But in both cases with the battles with Felix Faust, you know, Ray goes flying up there to do a massive knockout punch to Felix and Felix faded away. But then the second time, he gets to clock out Felix Faust. And it's a pretty great moment in the second issue where Adam does that. So I was my nomination was uh, was Ray Palmer. Uh moving over to the JSA. Who did you pick for JSA MVP?
0: Uh I think I guess I would say Green Lantern, uh just because he gets so much to do. In the second part of the story, mm. uh, that's really—I mean, so does Hal Jordan as well. But I mean, I mean, they, they all—I think they're all served pretty well. Black Canary has a really nice moment at one point where I, the uh, the Wizard throws that mace at her and yep. he misses, and she's like, "You missed, Wizard, but I won't." And it just—I kind of like that sort of saucy confidence <laughs> of that. Um, we get to see Hawkman barrel bare chested. That's fun. Uh, but I, I feel like Green Lantern, just because he comes in at the end and has so much to do.
1: Okay, that's fair. My pick was Dr. Fate, and, and I'm not playing favorites here. I'm really not. Because if you look at all the team-ups, it's pretty much two JSA members to tackle every single villain, except for Dr. Fate. He had to go up against Ice Icicle himself. And he gets frozen and then takes all of that ice that it got frozen with and turns it into a flood and totally knocks the Ice Icicle on his butt and sets him up basically in a trap where Ice Icicle's, you know, uh, has this tidal wave crash against him. And if school uses his own powers, he'll just freeze the water around him and make himself immobile. So mm. Dr. Fate had kind of a, a massive win there against uh, Ice school So that was my my nomination. All right, folks. So those were the MVPs, or again, give us some suggestions for what we're going to call the category. Next category is the opposite of that. Who is the worst team member? Now we're only going to do one person. Uh, it could be from either team, whatever. Who is the worst member in this issue? Uh, and, you know, maybe we'll call this something like, I don't know, the from the Johnny Thunder department because we love Johnny johnny thunder so much uh so rob uh i'll go first on this one i'm i'm gonna do a little bit of cheat i did nominate i did not nominate one person i nominated three people but i nominated them for one scene i I think it's a direct tie between black canary uh jay garrick the flash and al and scott green lantern because when we first see them they are all swooning over the supervillains challenging them to a fight. They're so happy about armed criminals intent on robbing millions of dollars. And they're like, aw, that icicle, he's so much fun. And I'm like, they are bad guys. <laughs> so that's my worst, teammate, uh, worst team nomination, Black Canary, Jay, Garrick, and Alan Scott. How dare you?
0: uh all right this my ugh, i mean i hate to say this but i think the one of the heroes that comes off the worst is in issue two at mm-hmm. the second part of the story where with i hate to say it aquaman where Ooh. uh i know i know i hate because he he does really well in the first story but when him and superman get try and get the drop on on chronos and superman's like watch out for watch out for a trick aquaman and then aquaman just collapses in the next panel like i just feel like Really? You get taken up out by Krona? Like it just, like the fact that he doesn't even get a moment to kind of look like he accomplished something. It's just, he's crawling up the side of the boat and the next panel, he's just unconscious and Superman has to save him. I'm a little, now luckily he does get to save Superman in the very next page, which helps balance it out a little. But there's something about that moment where Aquaman crawls into the action and then is immediately knocked unconscious. It's just little, like, Oh, come on.
1: Now, to be fair, I hate to blame Aquaman for that moment because, I mean, that Kronos battle makes no freaking sense. I mean, Kronos just flips a switch that makes Aquaman collapse, and then the only thing that will help him is Kryptonite. What? Yeah. It, I don't, yeah. It, it makes no sense. But, again, it's plot, so – all right, next feature, the best villain moment. What was the big, bad moment that you just absolutely loved or you thought was like, a, wow, that was impressive." So uh, I went first last time, so Rob, what was your big your big, bad moment?
0: I really like Felix Faust creating the water spouts like that just looks really cool. He creates as like I said, he creates a stairwell into the water as he 's trying to rob that boat. Uh, I just thought that looked really boss It was really cool I mean, he 's got a doofy costume. Uh, but I just I just thought that just looked really pretty
1: cool. I always think of Felix Faust as the not-ready-for-prime-time bad guy. Personally, that's where I always rate him. But uh, for me, it was <laughs> it's, it's a bonkers moment, but it's Dr. Alchemy turning two airplanes into flying bucking horses. <laughs> what the what? I mean, I hinted at it earlier. Maybe I, I I led too early on. I should have waited for here, but it makes no sense, but it's such a boss moment. I mean, to take Wonder Woman and Batman out of the action that quickly and put them on flying horses that are trying to buck and rear them off. It's just crazy. I love it. It's like, this is amazing. I don't get it, but I love it. So, and then the last one of our features here is going to be where we both nominate something is our overall favorite moment of the story. So what was it? Could be in the writing, could be the art, could be something simple, whatever. What was your favorite moment, Rob?
0: All right. I mean, aside from the moment where they're all hobnobbing with each other, which is going to be my favorite. That's pretty awesome. Uh, my favorite thing is on the second issue, pages 23 and 24, where, again, this has got to be a combination of, of Fox uh, and Sikowski, but it's this long description of just, okay, now everybody's going to fight. That's the big thing. And instead oh, of yeah. breaking, instead of it being broken down into a bunch of panels, it's a double-page spread. There's no panel borders, but it's, a coll- it's essentially a collage Of all the heroes taking on the villains all at once. And you've got, it's sort of broken up into six panels, but they're all oblong, uh, horizontal Mm -hmm. panels. So you've got Our Man, Green Arrow, and Adam taking on Icicle. The Wonder Woman and Flash about to shove Wizard into Aquaman's waiting arms. Superman and Green Lantern versus Dr. Alchemy. Adam, Hawkman and Green Lantern versus the Fiddler. Dr. Fate, Batman and the Flash versus Felix Faust. And Martian Manhunter and Black Canary versus Kronos. I just, the action of it is great. I love the white background. I just think it's really sharp looking. So that is my favorite moment. I think that is, it's, if you, if you could take out the, um, the, the captions, uh, it would, it would, <laughs> that, that's not be, a
1: caption. That's like a, yeah. that's like a Bible verse. I think, yeah, so basically. Long. Yeah. The front, the front <laughs> piece, as you
0: could call it, if you <laughs> could take those out. That would make like a really cool kind of poster. Cause it's just comic book superhero action at its finest. And it looks really cool.
1: That is really uh, that is really fantastic. I, I looking at it now, I can see why you would pick it. I mean, it's just beautiful, and I love how each one of the little battles has some JLA and some JSA working together. Yep, which just yep. really it, it just demonstrates the teamwork. So yeah, I that's that is fantastic. Mine, I went with a, a very small moment. It's just in the art. I just adored it. Was it's the second issue, page four. It's the battle with Hourman and uh, the Golden Age Adam, and they're battling the Fiddler. And it's the second panel where they've, they've defeated the Fiddler and they do this high, low running tackle. (laughs) You know, uh, it's, you know, Adam gets them low. Our man gets them high and it just looks great. And Fiddler's like, oof, he goes flying. I just love it. I I, I don't necessarily know why. I think it's because it's, these guys are sort of the lower powered members of the team and they just look great taking down the Fiddler. I love it. And they've also snapped the spine by doing that. They may have, they may have, it's possible. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Actually, I don't know. There's an extra set of hands on the Fiddler's stomach, and I don't know whose hand that is. I guess that's maybe Our Man's left hand stretched really, really yes. far. Yes, I think so, yeah. Okay, all right. <laughs> so those are our features, folks. Again, if you want to suggest some titles, we'll uh, – up for consideration. Again, MVP or maybe Key to the City, Worst Team Member from the Johnny Thunder Department, Best Villain Moment or the Big Bag Moment, and Overall Favorite Moment of the Stories. So we'll keep that going throughout the issues. Now, there's some other things we wanted to talk about that are hallmarks of these JLA-JSA crossovers. Why don't you, why don't you tell us the first, talk about the first one, Rob?
0: Yeah, one of the things that they would do would become a tradition in these stories and is the explanation is what is Earth 1 and Earth 2, everybody? Because obviously this was a new concept that they were bringing in and they never assumed that any given reader of a DC comic would inherently know what this stuff was. So they would always take a moment to pause and explain what the parallel Earth concepts were. Now, this would eventually expand beyond – just the jla team-ups, and it would basically be any DC comic that featured the Earth-2 concept would do this. They would pause for a moment and do like a Dr. Science thing. Like, hold on, <laughs> everybody, let's explain this. So, and, and it became, now that, um, well, that's a discussion for another day. Those panels eventually became the basis for Shag's uh, misbegotten belief that there is no Earth-2 Aquaman.
1: Oh, uh, but uh, that's, you, you cannot start that and not, all right, I, we are having that discussion at some point.
0: That will they'll make a that's going to make a knockdown drag out fight for an an episode from this series. But here it's introduced in a very low key way. There is no art. It's just a word. It's the it's just a caption. Uh, After the JSA is introduced in JLA 21, it simply says, For those readers unfamiliar with the two Earths in which Barry, Flash, Allen, and Jay, Flash, Garrick, operate, we point out that two objects, like our planet Earth and its duplicate, can inhabit the same space if they vibrate, as all matter does, to an extent, at different speeds. By vibrating swiftly, both Jay Flash and Barry Flash have been able to travel in and out of both Earths, dot, dot, dot. And then it gets back to the story. That is the most low key version they would ever do. (laughs) After that, they would, sometimes they would get really, they would get really elaborate and you would have these shots of different heroes and standing there. It would all depend on how the artist felt like doing it. But that's, that became a hallmark of every single Earth two related story is the explanation. But here it's just a little word balloon and then they get a caption and they, you know, they move on to the business of the story.
1: I do love the J-Flash and, uh, and Barry Flash. Flash. Yes. I think that's hilarious. So, yeah. And, and you know what? It's necessary to include in every single one because, again, my JLA number 171, that was the first time reading it. And sure mm-hmm. enough, there was, I don't know, maybe what, half a page dedicated to it with some little art bits to demonstrate it. And I figured it out. So there we go. Another hallmark of these series is the roll call where you get all the different characters. And what I like to think about is like, okay, wait, who's not here? Hmm, who's not here and why? So looking at this, the JSA members that had been established in the Golden Age that are not here include Dr. Midnight, Sandman, Starman, Johnny Thunder and his Thunderbolt, Mr. Terrific, the Spectre, Wildcat, uh, the the Earth 2 Wonder Woman, Earth 2 Batman, and Earth 2 Superman. So why didn't they include these folks? So for me, like Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, that seems like a no brainer to me. Like they clearly went out of their way not to have two of the same identical, you know, persona here. Like you can have two Flashes and two Green Lanterns because they're different people under the costume, but you don't want two Supermans at this point. You know that you know we we get that later, you know, once people really get the concept. But first off, you know, Gardner's like, hey, you know, these kids aren't going to understand why there's two Superman, so they decided not to. But then. You know, in Flash 137, we've referenced a few times now, which was only out two months before this, it did include the Wonder Woman character, it did include Dr. Midnight, and it did include Johnny Thunder. So it would seem to me that Dr. Midnight and Johnny Thunder would have been two of the more likely characters to come through. Any speculation why you think Gardner picked these particular sets?
0: I'm betting, since he was such a plot-heavy writer, that he wrote the plot and then figured what characters' uh, power sets are going to fit better into that plot. I think that's probably how he did it. And yeah. regarding Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman, yeah, they are, they had not created distinct versions of those characters yet, of a, like they did for Flash and Green Lantern. So yes, I bet you're right about that, that they were like, they almost didn't want to get into it. I'm like, well, how do we separate? How do we make them distinctive? Well, we haven't decided that yet, so let's just leave them out.
1: Yeah, and Batman doesn't even have the yellow oval at this point, which was used to be the indicator, however, we could right. tell it apart. So yeah, we don't even have that uh, clue yet. When did when did Hawkman join the JLA? Number 31. Okay. So so there there was no worries about two Hawkman. Interesting. Okay. All right. Yeah, he's right around the corner. Um, so other stuff too, like, uh, there's other stuff that's always fun in here. Like there's always some sort of multiversal hijinks that goes on in these issues that it's just like the, the idea between the two multiple earths and how they travel between them or something like that. I, I have one I wanted to mention, which is the bad guys travel between the two earths using these little portable devices to jump between the earths that they seem to just have handy. They're called portable vibrators. Such an unfortunate name. Such an unfortunate name. <laughs> Did you have any bonkers uh, multiversal hijinks sort of thing? Well, just the idea that they can travel
0: so easily between Earths. Like, these are not like Felix Faust, sure. But, you know, like the fiddler, Kronos, really? Like, they're that, you know? And I mean, you know, it became there. I mean, God, there were whole things about how one hero would travel to an er- another Earth and they'd say, geez, I'm trapped here. You're like trapped. Just get Dr. Fate to beam you over. What are you talking right. about? You know what I mean? So the, it is goofy that these villains can travel so easily back and forth. I mean, Sargon, that was B- Sargon's big thing. That was like, oh, he was a magician. He can easily travel between back and forth. But what are you talking about? If Kronos can do it, how hard can it be? And the <laughs> icicle? I mean, what, what is he doing? So that's they they would realize, I think pretty soon they would they would realize, we need to make this a little more special. We didn't make it a bigger deal that they can travel back and forth, but here it's almost like just very willy nilly.
1: Yeah, because like by the time I was reading him, it was always the the, the transporter or teleporter, or whatever it was yeah. called, the, the JLA satellite. that could do it. I'm like, okay, well, I guess that's how you go between. But here, yeah, it's very willy nilly. And this point, it's just like you know, hey, take the Doctor Fate train uh, back and forth all over this place to jump back and forth. And yeah, the right. fiddler, the fiddler is the one in the villain team who discovered the uh, multiple Earths. So interesting. <laughs> And then there's usually also some kind of really bizarre science thing in here. And that, that kind of stands with all Silver Age comics. But uh, like a, I like to call this science what? So uh, for me, uh, this one's I guess, technically is magic, not science. But magic is, you know, in theory, just science we don't understand yet. But it, at one point, they're in a place called Casino Town, which I love. That is so charming. That's called Casino Town. I want to go live there. But uh, the bad guys enchant eight different objects completely unrelated like a moose head some poker chips a yellow wall some water i mean it's it's insane and the justice league in order to activate this spell they have to touch every single one of these eight objects and that will you know it'll it cast this amazing spell that they really worked on hard to just send them back to the justice league headquarters really Well, first of all, it it makes no sense why to go to all this trouble for this sort of scientific or magical trap. What's it? Is it even really worth it? I mean, my God, it's like the worst game of hide and seek ever to try and find all these objects.
0: Well, again, Gardner Fox and science were not. Uh, f- uh, not friendly, not on friendly terms, because he just <laughs> did whatever he had to, had to do. Uh, yeah, I mean the 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 working of the the seance is like, wait, what? Like, what, <laughs> you know, what are you talking about? But okay, And again, you have things happen in in Gardner Fox stories because they have to, and, and that is something they would borrow like ten years later for like the Super Friends cartoon, challenge of, I mean, Challenger the Super Friends reads like Gardner Fox stories. Hmm. You know, right. what do you think about it? Those are, and those were from the late 70s, but they read like Gardner Fox stories. It's like, oh, does Batman need to go back in time? Well, the Batplane can do that then. <laughs> like, All right. But
1: You're not I'll, wrong about that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, those were some fun issues. We've got a couple more segments we want to cover real quick. But uh, all in all, I mean, how do you feel? I mean, it, this was a, an auspicious moment where the JSA's back in meeting the JLA for the first time, and it becomes you know an annual thing. Is this worthy of being the first one, or is it eh, it's a shaky start? No,
0: it's not. No, 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 it's not a shaky start. Uh, okay, I, I enjoy it quite a bit. I mean, look, we would go on; they, they would go on and do a lot more of these stories that I would like a lot more, just because, like you. Uh, the early 60s are not my sweet spot for superhero comics. I like I, I like uh, the style of the 70s a little bit more. But but in terms of it being the initial one, it's a blast. It's a real blast because it's, it's it's goofy and it's got all these villains. I mean, you're talking what? You got eight, seven JSAers, nine JLers, six villains. I mean, good lord, that's a huge amount of people to just populate through this story. So. It, you could see why if you were a kid, you would want to see more of these because it's just, it's like, wow, this is just twice as much fun.
1: Yeah. It, it, I had a great time with it. I had a lot of fun. It really does set the stage. It does a great thing. That's part of the reason we picked it to cover it this episode because we wanted to set the stage for the podcast. You know, it from here, every other. You know, one of these crossovers sort of sets up a big crisis, which is where the name of the show comes from. Obviously crisis on earth one, crisis on earth two, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I I had fun with it again. It's, it's not my favorite of the crossovers, but you know what? It's a perfect one to kick it off and it it does it just right. It gives every gives the kids everything they need. Um, as you said, there's not a lot of personality in the characters and that's okay because they're just getting familiar with the power sets is enough for the for them at that point. Uh, I enjoyed it. Alright, next we're going to do a JSA member spotlight where each episode we're going to talk about one particular member of the JSA that uh, in theory was featured in these issues and, uh, and just kind of go through them a little bit and just have a, a brief discussion. So I'm going to kick us off by talking about our man. I adore this character. So uh, a little background you, know, you may already know most of this but whatever Rex Tyler of course is his real name first appearance was Adventure Comics number 48 back in February 1940. He was created by Ken Fitch and Bernard Bailey and he was one of the founding members of the JSA. So he appeared in All-Star Comics number three, which was November 1940. So only about, you know, what is that, Uh, uh, nine months after he was created. Now, here's the part I didn't realize until I started doing the research. His last Golden Age appearance with the JSA as a member of the team was All-Star Comics number seven. He was only around for five issues on the team. I had no idea. All these years, he's been such a stalwart member since the Silver Age that I just assumed he was like a lifelong JSAer. Yeah, no, he
0: bailed, out. he bailed pretty quickly.
1: Yeah. So it's issue seven because issue eight is when they introduced Dr. Midnight and Starman as the, as the new mm-hmm. members. So most of his Golden Age appearances were over in Adventure Comics. He, uh, he did about 36 issues in there and he disappeared around December 1942. So he was really only active for about three years total in the Golden Age, which is, Kind of crazy. Again, to me, he's, you know, one of these hallmarks of the golden age, but not so much. So, you know, obviously he returns in the JLA issues and he's been around off and on ever since. Now, a little background. Rex Tyler was this brilliant biochemist who's trying to develop this miraculous vitamin. So the result, he calls it miraculo. Or Mir- Miraclo, I guess is how you say it. And he discovers it gives him these powers where he becomes, you know, really enhances his normal human abilities. So he gets the strength of ten men or a lot of endurance. He gets tough skin. Uh, he can move fast. And then <laughs> when the story requires it, he gets other powers if they just need it because it was the Silver Age. And the powers only last for one hour. And over time, the, the interesting thing is once they got into the Silver and Bronze Age, they started developing the storyline revealing that Miraclo was actually addictive, and Rex himself had begun become addicted to crime fighting. Uh, Rex eventually develops a non-addictive form of Miraclo, and, uh, and and he battles addiction for the rest of his life, really. Now, I love Rex. I truly, truly do. And my default a lot of times is to go back to the Mike Paraback series, because it's the art. I, I can't there 's been a lot of great JSA art over the years, but that Mike Paraback thing is just like so freaking good, so style perfect you know animation almost perfect and and Rex is just gorgeous in there but so I love Rex, but for me personally, I find his legacy more fascinating. So there's – because there's two other hour men. There's the second one, which is his son, Rick Tyler. And Rick took over during the crisis and joined Infinity, Inc. and all this stuff. But he had a lot of problems when he was hour man. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Later on, he retires. He he contracts leukemia because of his use of Miraclo. Years later, he returns to the hero business hour man, and he joins like the JSA during that Jeff Johns era. Now, I don't know if you've read all those Jeff Johns issues, but this is really – where Rick star shined. I mean, he rose to prominence and probably his peak popularity during that JSA series. And he, uh, he marries Jesse quick and he just, he just kicks all the ass. He becomes a total fan favorite character during that JSA run. Cause it was earlier on in, in, in Rick's career, really not anybody's favorite. So I, I'm really glad Jeff sort of redeemed the character. Now the other, uh, do you, go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: No, 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 I was good. No, go ahead.
1: Okay. Uh, then the other version of Our Man is the third version, which is this android who got introduced during the DC 1 million crossover. He's from the 853rd century because, you know, and uh, he was based on Rex Tyler's DNA. And he becomes a member of this in the future of the Justice Legion A. And then back in the 21st century, he joins the JLA and he becomes a member of the JSA. I mean, the guy's he's all over the place for a, for a brief period of time. He's one of those characters that shined really bright for a brief period of time and burned out. Now, he starts off he's a Grant Morrison creation, so he starts off really bizarre. Like, I, when he first came on the scene, I didn't really care for the character. I was like, ugh, what is this? It's not that I minded the legacy, I just didn't like the character that much. And he was supposed to be, like, the heir to the new god's Metron. He was going to take over for him afterwards, that kind of thing. But... Where it really clicks, where the, this really manages to shine, was in the Hourman ongoing series. It was written by Tom Payer with art by Rags Morales. And I'm telling you, if you've never read it, it was one of the best comics on the market at the time. It was so freaking good. I mean, you really learned to care for this android. And the art was great. And it was just so In fact, I, I met Tom Payer at a convention. And, I, and this is just recently. I said, hey, you know that series you wrote like 20 years ago, Hourman? I love that series. Thank you so much for that. Hmm. Um from there, he joins the JSA and he does some time y stuff. He hooks up with Rick, the other Hourman, quite a bit. Gives Rick a chance to spend time with his deceased father, which is great. And one of the beautiful things about the Android, sorry, this is a spoiler, is um, you know Rex Tyler. And we've talked about this a few different times. The original Hourman died during the Zero Hour. A bunch of JSA members were just slaughtered during Zero Hour. It was so unnecessary. It was it was horrific. It was horrible. Shouldn't have happened. And you know Ciscoe talks about it on, on his show. Uh, however. What happened in the later issues of the JSA, this Android version of Our Man traveled back in time and actually switched places with Rex Tyler at the moment of his death. So the Android version sacrificed himself so that the classic original uh, Rex Tyler could be alive. And so Rex becomes a supporting character in the JSA book. Um, So that was just absolutely awesome. Uh, I'll say a couple more things, then we can just get into kind of a general discussion. Uh, Our Man has gone on to some fame. He's appeared in Legends of Tomorrow as Rex Tyler. Uh, on the Starman series, he's uh, Rick Tyler is a regular reoccurring character. Uh, his father, Rick Tyler, appeared in some flashbacks. Uh, on the animated versions, we've seen him in JLU. He's been in Batman Brave and the Bold. I didn't even know this till doing some research. He actually had a cameo in Justice League New Frontier. I totally missed that. And uh, there was actually an Hourman TV series in development several years ago that was, it was going to happen, but it never materialized. And personally, I think it's because that show Limitless came out, which was about another guy who popped pills and gave him special abilities. I think that pretty much killed the Hourman possibility. So,
0: you know, at the time I remember thinking, boy, that sounds a lot like Hourman.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That came out. So you got a special place in your heart for the man of the hour?
0: I look, I, I like our man a lot. I can't say that I was particularly loved him. My big introduction to him was in a JLA team mode that we've already covered, 195 through 197, uh where uh he gets drawn by George Perez. Mm. And and I you know, I liked him just fine, but he was never a particular favorite. But then the way that Perez drew him and the way he was colored with the black and yellow and the red. I was like, man, give me an Our Man series. This looked really, he just looked really cool. And, you know, it, it taught me a, a lesson you learn throughout reading superhero comics. is like, there is, no, virtually, there is virtually no character so stupid that they can't be done cool in some way. If you just have the right creators. And I, just, I thought that sequence with Our Man versus Psycho Pirate was so well done that I was, I was on board with him at that point. So uh yeah, he's never been one of my particular favorites. I do think the hour thing is just so limiting. Uh he him and Aquaman should talk about what it's like to <laughs> be limited by an hour. Um but uh but I I like his look. I just think the costume is really cool and it's it works as a character from the 1940s. So yeah. you know, I mean it it's back when they were trying to spin the dial and come up with as many different gimmicks as they can. It makes total sense. Does it I'm amazed that he has become the thing that he's this legacy character and like, good Lord. Yeah, there's a live action hour, man. I can't believe I can say that.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, I I love the costume. I'm glad you bring it up. So like a yellow hood is not easy to make it work, folks. No, but uh, it really only works on the comic page because the way they draw it, it's yellow hood, but they just draw the front black. For no apparent reason, as if, like, there's a shadow on his face at all times, which doesn't actually happen. So it, it, when you really sit there and look at it for a while, you're like, that, that doesn't really work unless there's, like, a black part sewn into it. Now, they altered it uh, later on in, in the JSA comic when Rick was, was uh, on there. They actually flipped it to black and put yellow on the inside, like the lining, and it looks totally awesome. It looks very badass that way. Yeah. They also altered it for the Stargirl TV series where it's still a yellow hood, but they've actually given him a black mask underneath the hood. To, so you get that yellow and black effect works well. All right. Well, folks, uh, this is the part where you guys get to chime in. We want to hear from you. Let us know your thoughts on these issues of JSA, um, or I'm sorry, JLA, featuring the JSA. Let us know your thoughts on the segments, Uh, you know, maybe your favorite thoughts about our man, you know, whatever you want to talk about in relation to this. And going forward, again, we're going to be covering other crossovers between the JSA and the JLA on this show. We're going to touch some Justice League ones. Uh, That'll be the main focus. We'll touch on some other stuff. I'm kind of itching to get to the Brave and the Bold with Dr. Fate uh, and Batman. I think that'll be fun. Anyway, uh, Rob, why don't you tell them the website where they can go to to leave those comments? You go to fireandwaterpodcast.com
0: slash JSA presents.
1: Yep. And we also have a Facebook page, which is Firewater Podcast Network. On Twitter, you can find us under our FW Podcast. And we also have a Twitter feed just for this show. And it's not com- solely controlled by Rob for once. Uh, it's the JSA Presents. So just look for JSA Presents on Twitter. And you can, you can email us as well. Uh, it's a little bit long. But Justice Society Presents at gmail.com. Now, we released a promo for the whole Justice Society Presents uh, feed, and we actually got some feedback already. So we thought we would just trip hammer real quick through some of the folks who were enthused about this show coming out. So our thanks to Mark Baker Wright, who said this was an instant ad to his feed. Al Sedano said that uh, just like that, I have another podcast I have to listen to. James Young said you had me at Justice Society, but Sam and Mystery Theater, that's my sweet spot. I'm all in.
0: Gord Tolton said, shut up and take my money. (laughs) Patreon.com slash FW. Uh, Net administrator said, can't wait for the Earth 2 Aquaman focused episodes, especially now that it is canon
1: he had telepathic powers. You know, we've already recorded every single episode about the Earth 2 Aquaman because there never was one. Oh, that's a discussion for another day. All right. Brian Anderson says the firewater network already takes up a lot of my podcast listening, And now you're taking more being a huge justice society fan. This will go to the top of my playlist. Thanks for all the fantastic shows. Well, you're welcome, Brian. We actually do it just for you, man. Then we're from Kichi Baker, who says, can't wait for the to infinity. And I'm sorry, hold on. I, I want to get this right. Keith actually texted me this a while back, or we had talked about this. He, he's suggesting a show that should be called to infinity Inc. and beyond. I, <laughs> yeah, I think that's hilarious. Now, I personally don't have a, a tremendous background or necessarily love for the Infinity Fink, so that's probably not going to be my thing, but maybe somebody might. Brian Rosen said, so looking forward to this. I've been on withdrawal since the ending of Tales of the Justice Society of, of, of America. Yeah, over on the True True Freaks Network, they, uh, Michael Bailey and Scott Gardner had a fantastic series focusing on the Justice Society. We're not trying to replace that. We're taking a completely different tack towards it. But yeah, uh, it's uh, more JSA stuff always good.
0: You know, going back to Keith's point, I, I can't say that I would want to talk about all of Infinity, Inc., but those first 10 issues are really good. So I don't know. Maybe. Uh, anyway, Steve Given says such a great idea for a show. If and when you ever cover All-Star Squadron issues, 19 and 20. I have an interesting tidbit. Jerry Ordway shared with me when I got him to sign those issues for me at a Comic-Con a couple of years ago. I look forward to sharing it here. Whoa. Nice tease there, Steve. Thank you. Um, Matt Saroy says, yes, yes, yes. Also Squadron and Earth 2 are my favorite things about the DC multiverse. Anything could happen on Earth 2. If Batman wasn't safe, no one was. <laughs> jumping up and down like a toddler on a sugar high in anticipation for the Infinity Inc generation saga.
1: There's some Infinity Inc lovers out there, man. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I got to tell you, I have an itch, and it wouldn't be on this show because this is specifically Justice League and JSA together. I have an itch to talk about the, uh, uh the, the, the Bronze Age relaunch, the All-Star comics oh, I love super them. squad right. super squad i love those so much by the way i mentioned earlier tales of the jsa on on freaks i should also mention there's a current podcast you guys might want to check out called a world on fire it is an all-star squadron podcast uh so you should definitely check that one out and uh it's done by a couple of our friends so give it a give it a listen as well so then we also heard from captain entropy who wrote okay matt's a little more excited than i am but i'm definitely looking forward to it jimmy McGlinchey said looking forward to listening when it comes out well here you go jimmy
0: Paul Wildenberger says, I haven't been this excited about the announcement of a new podcast since MASHCAST. Thank you, Paul.
1: Man, playing to the right audience. Paul, you know how to get your name right on the air. All right. Well, folks, that is going to do it for the first installment of Justice Society Presents Crisis. And uh, we're looking forward to more. Can't wait. So until next time. Join the fight for justice.
0: With his army of evil on the march. Curd Degaton appears to have time on his side.
1: But when duty calls, they answer, bringing the fight for freedom to the front lines. They are the mystery men and
0: women known as the Justice Society of America.